Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear Sunday's sermon, along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. A number of years ago, I was working as a seminary intern in a church in Virginia. Among my other responsibilities was to oversee three different youth groups. And one day had a mailing that needed to go out to the parents. As I sat with the church secretary, Mary, I told her what I needed for her to do to help make that mailing possible. She asked me a few questions, and when I clarified them, she then said, what's my bribe for doing this? I, I thought she was joking, uh, as it was certainly part of her normal role to take care of mailings, but she went on to tell me that the pastor in that church, whenever there was a bigger project, would give her something extra, maybe a bag of chips or donuts or even grass seed. I'm not really sure how I responded to Mary in that moment. I suspect it might have been something like what I would do with our children when they were young and they would ask for something they weren't going to get namely a response of, well, we'll see. <laughs> but in that particular moment, Mary did not get a bribe from me, nor did she ever ask again. And it's still, it was that very brief conversation that came back to me when I began pondering the text before us this morning. There's nothing in it about bribes or mailings but it does have something to say about one's expectations in carrying out other everyday acts. It comes on occasion when Jesus is actively teaching his disciples. Just prior to our passage, he is addressing some real-life scenarios, asking what they would do if a fellow believer caused someone else to stumble in their own faith journey or if someone were to sin against them repeatedly in the same day, but ask for repentance after each occasion. In those moments, Jesus offers clear answers to the questions. And it is then that the apostles say, Lord, increase our faith. In response, he tells of how a mustard seed, as tiny as it is, can grow demonstrating the ability of faith to do amazing things. And it is while he is still letting them ponder what that might have meant that he goes ahead and tells what might have been the most confusing parable he ever uttered. Who among you, he said, would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, Come here at once and take your place at the table. As Jesus often did in his parables, he was using an everyday image, in this case, of a farmer 
who would have an individual who not only worked in the fields and took care of the sheep, but at the end of a workday would then prepare the evening meal. Jesus was asking a question when, in essence, he was saying, can you imagine that farmer saying to his laborer, look, you've worked hard all day, sit down and relax. I will fix the evening meal. And instead, he names the more likely answer as he continues, would you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink. Later, you may eat and drink. He goes on to ask another question. Also, presumably, the answer would be absolutely not. As he says, do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, are to say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. Now, in all kinds of ways, that parable is a hard one for us to hear as believers in the 21st century. To be sure, we no longer have a system of slaves and servants like what Jesus was describing. And the response of that farmer to his laborer at the end of the day sounds a little cold-hearted, too. There is this sense for us that we really are left a little uncomfortable with the suggestion in this parable that we aren't to offer words of appreciation after someone has engaged in an honest day's labor on our behalf, and to hear that Jesus turns the parable to the disciples and that they are to refer to themselves as worthless slaves also doesn't feel particularly good. I have spent a lot of time this week trying to unpack what Jesus was saying, and I will tell you that I haven't settled all those kinds of questions. And yet, what it seems to me that Jesus clearly was saying was talking to those disciples about what it is they expect when they carry out deeds of faithfulness. Do they expect to be rewarded, much as we do in our culture when we do a good deed, we expect one in like measure to come back to us? Did they expect the carrying out such acts as compassion, and generosity, love, and mercy, that somehow those deeds earn a bonus with God, much as that church employee sought one from me years ago? Jesus clearly said no. There's a New Testament professor named Alan Culpepper, who I think gives us some helpful insights to what Jesus was saying. As he writes, the parable of the worthless servant is probably no one's favorite. Yet it drives us to re-examine our assumptions about our relationship to God. The difficulty is that while the parable makes a significant point about discipleship and humility before God, it casts God in the unappealing role of a slave driver. Many of us would probably have chosen a different metaphor. Our inclination is to think that if we do what we are commanded, we deserve some reward. Particularly, do we expect a reward since the standard required for a disciple is so high? God owes us nothing, Culpepper says, for living good, 
Christian lives. God's favor and blessing are matters of grace. They cannot be earned. Therefore, when we assume that we can deal with God on the basis of what God owes us, we have made a basic mistake. We have rejected grace as the basis of our relationship to God and based that relationship in our own worth and merit. When the parable is read in the context of the earlier verses in this chapter, Culpepper says, the point becomes clear. The disciple can do what God requires through faith, but the disciple can never do more than is required. We cannot meet even the basic demands of discipleship from our own goodness and strength. Culpepper is suggesting that Jesus' main point was that we carry out deeds of faithful living as the most natural response of all to what God has done. That we don't offer any of those actions seeking to curry favor with God or to somehow put God in our debt, but rather to carry out those things that we ought to do simply because of what we have received from God. I want to tell you of some of our ancestors in the faith who did just that. As part of this worship service, we are honoring 76 individuals who have been members here for at least 50 years. Included in that group are nine who reach that milestone today. It's an incredible witness of faithfulness and continued service in the life of the church. The occasion got me curious to look back and see what was happening at DPC in 1972. And so I pulled out the session minutes. It's not everyday reading for me. But found in that all kinds of wonderful things described and summarized by the clerk, Elizabeth Porter. In those pages, you certainly could find the date that each of these nine individuals joined our church. But there was much, much more over the course of that year, too. There are the kinds of things that sessions always do approve baptisms and weddings, youth mission trips and vacation Bible school. There was recognition of 50-year members that happened in June of 1972, of the approval of new officers and a budget, of the kinds of things that churches are always doing, or at least on some regularity, calling new pastors, in this case an associate pastor, whose starting salary was $14,000. There were some occasions in there that continue to live on for us, namely the dedication of the communion table that we still use to this day, and the kind of ministry that we engage in of offering worship services in retirement communities in that particular moment happening at Neshaminy Manor, and of the account of an Easter sunrise service that was going to happen at the home of one George Bishop. There was also glimpses 
of some really creative ministry that was happening here. For instance, the session hired a seminary student who is actually the brother of one of our new honorees today, and his charge was to create a program that would get the youth of Doylestown off the streets. They were hanging out at the courthouse. <laughs> and so he started something called a coffee house here. In that same year, the church launched two different hours of church school on every Sunday morning. And there was a note of a worship service that was going to happen in October where the choir would sing a new version of a psalm and that that piece would serve in the place of the sermon for both services on that day. It was fun for me to watch some decisions of the session as they unfolded over the course of that year. For instance, early in the year, the officers formed a group to plan and celebrate the 250th anniversary of DPC's founding and in March, there was a report from the moderator, Ken Hollenbaugh, that said, plans are laid aside as investigations revealed that the church would not be that old in 1975. <laughs> and went on to say, the committee is preparing a history, but there will be no celebration. <laughs> there was a decision about offering a free subscription to a denominational publication called Presbyterian Life for all the members of the church. And a few months later, the moderator noted that receipts weren't matching the expense of that. And there was this note that the session was admonished to remember this incident before making like promises. And then there was this long conversation that occurred over the course of the year about whether or not we should have candlelight services in this room, uh, a cherished part of our Christmas Eve. And it began when the trustees passed a motion that said, no open flame is to be permitted in the sanctuary for any reason other than, or at any service except in the chancel where there is no flow of traffic. The session referred that motion to its worship committee, who called in the local fire department. <laughs> and the fire chief said that it really shouldn't be a problem to occasionally have candlelight in the sanctuary as long as the deacons or ushers would take the fire extinguishers off the walls and that there were people at the exits to help people down the stairs. And then late in that year, there was this motion, or a notification, a letter of sanction from our insurance company is being anticipated concerning the holding of candlelight services. <laughs> and yet, to me, the most timeless motion that was passed over that entire year came from the Church and Community Committee, whose chairman, John Valiant, presented a report that was approved and read in part, because action is needed in controversial community issues by the church as a whole and by its individual members, and because meaningful action can only come from well-informed people, they proposed a questionnaire of members to determine seminars that they would be interested in attending. And it went on and said, 
that the following subjects be included in those listed. The position of the church on abortion, alcohol, conduct of the war, drugs, sex, race, and gun control. Nowhere in the minutes was there any indication that our elders were seeking somehow to earn the praise of their fellow members or of God. Rather, it might simply be said they were doing what they ought to have done. That is the call to you and me as well. Whether officers or members, newcomers or 50-year parishioners, that our ongoing task is to do our faithful and imperfect best to live out the gospel. Not in the hopes of earning favor with God or somehow to put God in our debt, but simply because that is what disciples of Jesus Christ do. Let us pray. We give thanks, O oh God, for our ancestors in the faith who have taught and modeled what it means to be one of your own. We give thanks for those moments when they and we are successful in reflecting your intention and confess those times when we fall short. Help us on this morning to rededicate ourselves to the call that you continue to extend to each one of us, that we might do our faithful best to live out the good news that has come to us. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.